So, uh, yeah, you two have already met. Um, do a, <laughs> should we just start? Yeah, do it, man. Uh, do the intro. What are we talking about? Uh, same thing that we were going to talk about that. Okay. Patriot stuff. So we'll we'll keep it up with that. Um, <clears throat> all right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 320 Club podcast. Why is it called the 320 Club? Well, 420 was already taken, and happy hour is happening somewhere else. We're your hosts. I'm Whiskey. And I'm Rox. And we brought along with us uh, a very special friend. His name is Cognac. Please welcome Cognac. Hello. Hello. We, you're not like French or anything. You're just, you speak French quite fluently. I think it's more so because you're, you, you can be a little bit arrogant. I think that's the only reason why we gave you that name. So <laughs> at least, at least stop <laughs> <her> complaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, I figured um, I wasn't sure how to go about doing this because we're a little uh, this this kind of horrible thing is happening all the time. I was gonna get into the uh, the uh, shooting in in Christchurch in uh, in New Zealand. Um, I don't know. I don't even know where to start. Um, I I was gonna look at using this as like a just a broader discussion on on hatred. I, I suppose hatred in general. Um, looking at all kinds, I don't know, it just seems like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of nasty stuff that's going on in the world today. I think you and I, Cognac, we were talking about it, uh, a couple of days ago. Um, we recorded it a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, the, like you said, the world's on fire and, uh, we, we um, like, what do you, what do you do about it? Well, the world's, the world's on fire in terms of isolated incidents. We just have more um, access and information these days. Um, but, you know, as, as I talked about before, all trends show that the world is the safest it's ever been and the poverty gap is decreasing. Um, although with the advent of, of um, instantaneous global communication, it seems that there's a lot of, a lot of people are being inspired by um, these kind of, lone wolf style attacks uh and there's a coinciding rise in north america especially in the united states of um anti-muslim sentiment hatred graffiti vandalism stuff like that um which is certainly less than ideal well yeah there's definitely (laughs) a lot of that (laughs) let 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 Let's can we unpack that just a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. Well, yeah, I, 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 I think he just ended this whole thing for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, no, yes, baby. Um, I, I think we should probably look at it from a couple different angles, and we'll go. We should maybe look at it. So, I, I, I think global security. Um, is it uh, the same? I think it's just history repeating itself. You think the rise of colonialism, the fall of colonialism, that translates into destabilized, what we call sometimes democracies, but aren't very democ- democratic, especially in Africa, if you think about it. Um, I thought you were looking at Eastern Europe there. but okay. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well let, 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 let's see. In, in, in well, the, in the was it the early 80s, they were communists. The early 90s, they weren't. <laughs> uh, well, that's, some, that's, some, that's some old, old-ass hatred there. 
um, in especially Eastern Europe, you see a lot like, you know, the same kind of hatred that basically started the, the First World War with uh, the uh, killing of uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand or the assassination. Yeah, but you could get into right. just, we could, we could do a whole series on hatred within the Ottoman Empire. Um, yeah, and yeah, you know, that's true. Uh, just this is a this is a bit of a side note, but you know when people look at the fall of colonialism or the, or the former colonial powers, and, and we're we are having a dialogue about a lot of things we should have a dialogue about um, in terms of the treatment of of uh, the colonies by the major world powers in the past. But the Turks get a weird pass. Um, people don't discuss how. You know, they don't discuss the Armenian genocide very often. They don't discuss how the Ottomans treated their people very much. So, well, that's not I just true. thought that's, that's they made interesting a movie about side. It. There's a movie about it. There's several movies about it. So, yeah, it just it, it doesn't it, it over here. It doesn't doesn't necessarily discuss it as as much because I mean, genocides happen all the time. We're seeing them in Africa, all like tribal genocide all the time. Um. So we see it even with this within the Muslim community. You, you also have this, the minority Muslim, like the Sunnis, and I can't even name them all. But the, the oh, different what factions. are the ones in Africa? Ismaili, Ismaili, yeah. something like that. So I, mm, I, yeah. So genocides happen all the time. We just choose not to to look at it that way. We we want to focus on the the event, not necessarily the motives and the five Ws, which is my pet peeve in the world. Um, we, we need to understand all the factors, who, what, where, when, and why, not just someone, someone, we focus on the problems with the individual that caused the crime, not necessarily the cultural background that this is occurring in, the context in which the crimes are happening. <clears throat> I think it's easier for us to understand that way, or for your average person to understand that way. Well, we need, we like, people, people like enemies. People like to have, know who their enemies are, at least. They don't like having enemies, but they like to know who their enemies are. So that way they can, you know, identify them and set out measures to, well, destroy them. That's what they, that's what, that's part of being human, which is an unfortunate aspect, but it's one aspect that's kept us at the top of the food chain for God knows how long, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it, part of it plays into, in these incidents in Western countries or, uh, Western democracies, liberal Western democracies. Um, I just realized, sorry to interrupt, I just realized I used God knows how long for making an evolutionary argument. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> um, the In Western democracies, these, these somewhat isolated incidents, they're, they're following a trend, certainly, but part of the problem, how do we stop it from happening? Um, I don't, this is going to sound slightly pessimistic, I suppose, but I don't necessarily think I think that we can guarantee 100 percent something that is, will never happen again. Right. I, um, I, I agree. Because so, maybe just focus on that line of thread. What would you be the perceived costs of making it not happen again? Well, that's the problem. You can't have a free society. Um, yeah. Have you guys ever seen that movie uh, with Christian Bale called Equilibrium? Um, yeah. The yeah. gun and food thing. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> the society food, yeah. was super safe because everyone had to take a drug at a mandatory time to suppress all emotions. So there was never any murders of crimes of passion, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, freedom, living in a free society does not, uh, or sorry, stopping something that's like these from happening 
whether it would be through surveillance or other measures of control of all persons, does not coincide very well with free society, nor does it necessarily work. London's the most surveilled city in the world, and they've had three high-profile um, terror attacks in the last decade, right? Um, yeah, I mean, the same context of Ray Bradbury, 1984, I think, they, I think is the way it works. Yes. Yeah, so what do we have to surrender in order for, to do that? So what are you prepared to give up in order to get that margin of safety that, that you feel you need? And there's been lots of movies that talk about, um, that really illustrate that uh, there's room for uh, security agencies to cause panic, which would induce the buying frenzy of security measures. And you put that into the, a government sector where um, the perceived risk now begins to uh, reduce civil liberties. Um, we become, every, every citizen becomes a target. Um, and you start seeing, uh, going back to Fahrenheit 451, uh, where you start seeing where just the, free, the freedom of thought, the, fr the freedom to own books is is under threat. Um, so, so do we attack the ideals or do we attack uh, or we, we, we start reducing freedoms or do we change the way we educate ourselves, educate the people? I think you're on the right track with education and increased mental health counseling um, for people that require it because there are some uh, of these instances where they're you know, better mental health counseling may have assisted. I mean, at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do. You can't plan for crazy. Um, society, nor, nor can, can you control it. I mean, the fact no. that some, some crazy, well, whatever you want to call it, some crazy people, they'll, they won't, first of all, they won't understand that they're crazy. They won't go and seek, oh, I have a problem and I need to go and seek out help. No, like, there, but there are there are some solutions though, um, or at least some minor, relatively minor things we can do to to maybe curb this trend slightly. New Zealand's prime minister is leading the way with um, saying, as long as she's prime minister, the name of the shooter will never be mentioned. Right? Um, we know that the shooter in, in Christchurch uh, was inspired by the shooter at the Quebec mosque in 2017, Bissonette. He had his name carved into his weapons. So yeah, and you saw from some of the footage and some of these newsreels, like the this kid wanted attention. Like, of course he did. And a lot of these, a lot of these profile shooters or who, whoever they are, they often they're. I keep hearing it's like there's a competition to see who can get the ne the hot next highest numbers. Just like this, this is this is stranger than fiction. Like I saw shit like this and. A Peter Jackson movie. Remember the movie Frighteners with Michael no. J. Fox? No. Um, yeah. Well, there's a there's a serial killer in that movie, and like he was trying to go for the highest number, and he was every time he would bypass some famous serial killer, he would mention them by name, and then you know it's like it was so strange. But like the fact that you know it's these people who are doing these horrible things, it's almost like they're they're trying to seek out attention to. I don't know. I don't even know what to make of it. Like I well, know what other the guy wrote a seventy-three page. The guy wrote a seventy-three page manifesto and put it on Facebook. But I, mean, I, I think we need to put this into context, though. And, and certainly. And so, like, what the I part I struggle with is when we start doing fear tactics. So mm -hmm. what we need to do reasonable accommodation, reasonable amount of security. 
we need to give up a reasonable amount of civil liberties and freedom of movement. So we have secure borders. But really what we need to re- look at is the trend rising. So the number of people that are killed by extreme violence, since we have records, I mean, we, we need also need to realize is that serial killers have been around since the dawn of time. And uh, when they want to kill for sport and not get caught, it's really difficult for us to do that. Um, so the- the, so the, the, we, we have to look at the proportionate number of people that were caught and understand there's an error bar there of the ones we did not. Well, the global the global statistics speak to the odds of any human being meeting a violent end or um, are rapidly decreasing. They don't use the word murder in the statistic very much because I guess depending on what country it's from, it, it, it um, or how the investigation goes, um, it could skew the statistics. But the end result is the same: you died a violent death before your time, and that is on the decline worldwide. Yeah, um, not of like natural causes um, or but yeah, I guess, but it is, but it does include or... war. But it does include war. It does include a war. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that is on the decline globally. Small comfort to the victims that but, it still happens but, but to the is, families it, of. The thing is, is it is it the number of people that died per capita, or just the number of people that died totally? Full stop. So, so, so that's interesting because the population is rising exponentially. Yes. So. That means the people, if we just use that logic, if the if the total number of people are dying due to violent ends is decreasing, straight line, simple stuff, then we put in the fact that population is arriving exponentially. The the actual rate per capita of the world or per population side of the world is, is decreasing, decreasing exponentially. exponentially as well. Yes, and there's your business case. Sorry. <laughs> but no but we, it, it, it needs it needs to be to be said because if it's decreasing at that uh, at an alarming rate the answer is preserve values not increase scrutiny yes um preserve values um i think we all as people um i mean I think the three of us from having listened to every one of your episodes, except for the second game of Thrones when I came in. Yeah. You, d- you didn't realize there, uh, uh, whiskey. We actually have a fan amongst us. So it's actually kind of nice. They, they, they studied up. <laughs> so after having listened to them all, um, that's where my business case joke came from. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for you to tell me how to vote with my wallet, but I know that you have <laughs> talked in the past about, um, about the media bearing responsibility for what it publishes or its actions. But I think all people have responsibilities as well. So when the media sensationalizes things like this, it give, it garners attention and attention. We all know whether or not we're talking about committing a violent act or being promiscuous or being loud in class as a clown, a desire for attention can be manifested. Negative attention, still attention, right? Um, so I think we all should be voting with our wallets and not supporting any media outlets that are sensationalizing or um, glorifying in its own roundabout way the actions of these people. And instead, maybe take the time to have have a discussion on the values that we should be um, preserving and, and why it's wrong. 
Yeah, and true. Uh, and, and I think that's why I like some of the CBC panels because they they bring in people that that debate this, and especially when they can't the topic of uh, naming the the, uh, the killer and in the context of journalism and what kind of values what kind of value the organizations get from publishing it versus mm-hmm. what kind of uh, parts they get from not publishing it. And in some ways, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn. So when we talk about responsibility, and here's, here's the, the, the diverging part, I guess, is individuals have a right to you know, speak their mind and say what they, they need to say. But when you're a reporter and you're recording someone, the, the, the news agency has the last say. Yes. And, their product. And, and because they're they're supposed to be educated, they're supposed to be trained, they're supposed to be professional about their work. I think there there's a bigger responsibility there um, than just the individual thing. But if you're an, uh, a dumbass just spouting stuff on social media, unfact based, uh, I can't remember which article that we, we that we we, we we publishing. I get uh, was a a protester says they get most of their news from social media. <laughs> and the rest they My fill God. in their own blanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The problem with, in case anyone's listening that doesn't know what the problem with that statement is, social media algorithms only show you what you want to read, so you're not actually learning anything. You'd be further ahead than not reading. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a continuation of your confirmation bias. That's all it is. Yeah, it's groupthink, right? Hey, look yeah. at you! you use big words. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can. I can bias. be taught after twenty-four episodes. I can increase my vocabulary by one or two words. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you! <laughs> I mean, he is the guy that cho- he chose the one-syllable names. So. <laughs> well, I had five letters. It's all I could spell it today. <laughs> hey, you're lucky I can pronounce yours, cognac. It's because I told you seven times. <laughs> There's an N. <laughs> I think, okay, so I'll agree with the point that um, there is maybe more of a uh, burden of responsibility on the behalf of journalists and journalism in general. But the problem is, is you go back to the business case, negativity sells, man. Like, Of course it does. Fires, murders. Good uh, news isn't news, right? Yeah, and and exactly. that's not just a facetious statement. It's, and it's we don't even call it we don't even call it good news. We call it slow news day. Well, but because it's not, people say that as a facetious statement. They yeah, go, good news isn't news. But of course it's not because if everything's good, there's nothing new. It's how it should be. It's no, what we expect. I think it, right? I, th- I think it so goes deeper than the that. unexpected. It goes deeper than that though. Like because everybody can relate to misery. So misery is there's always something you don't have. There's always something you could do better, and there's always something you could do to feel better about yourself. That is universal. I I, I don't know if you've met me before, but no, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the problem is is it feeds into that relating personality. Most people, if you're not uh, go into the relating side of their psyche, saying I can relate to that. Um, or it makes them feel better because those people are worse off. But when people are do well for themselves or they're, they're, you look at the sunshine list, so to speak, <clears throat> when people are doing well for themselves, there's a bit of envy there and hatred. Yeah, um, but that's because they're lizard people. 
secretly <laughs> ruling the world. Well, the, the, sad, the, the sad part is, is you and I both will probably be on the sunshine list next year. Um, yeah. The, the sunshine list. Uh, we're not talking about the newspaper column, are we? <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, we are. Not sunshine girls. You're going to be a no, sunshine no, no. boy? <laughs> you went in the gutter, dude. You went to the gutter. <laughs> the sunshine list is, it comes out in Ontario. And anybody that is making over six figures gets published on it. Yeah. I won't be because I live in La Belle Province. So, <laughs> so uh, there's no sunshine list here. There's just obscene taxes. <laughs> yeah. That's Got to pay for the language police in the Democratic People's Republic of Quebec. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Ontario, which is turning into a police state. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you guys are going the other way. <laughs> Yeah, we, we talked about it. Uh, Cognac and I were talking about it. The idea that uh, um, there there's uh, speech limiting laws being put in place, as well as the uh, like the recent breathalyzer law that got put in place in Ontario, where uh, police don't need a they don't need a reason to uh, give you a breathalyzer test. They no longer need cause for reasonable doubt. Yeah, that's right. But uh, well, you said okay. it better. Yeah, so my my old man was a was a cop, and he has a major issue with it because um, physical searches, physical samples such as a breathalyzer, are like the most intimate type of search you can do. So they generally require the highest um, oversight from legislation. But to remove that, and then everyone to just kind of collectively agree it's fine because it's cur- and this is this is where we were talking about what do we give up to ensure safety. Um, this was kind of skirted under. Uh, to curb drunk driving. Um, and if you looked at social media because you hate yourself at least once in the morning while you're having your coffee and read everyone's kind of um, statements on it, people were saying, oh, but if you don't drink and drive, you have nothing to worry about. So the only people that are complaining uh, are probably drunk drivers anyway or blah, blah, blah. But this is the kind of um, small step that can lead to bigger things. Uh, and and it is a it is something that I mean, um, there was a particular police department in Ontario uh, that was uh, kind of blasted in the news because they were going into bars breathalyzing people who, of course, they were drinking. They were in a bar, right? And they're allowed to be doing that. Um, So these kind of fear tactics for the greater good, for the greater safety of society, um, this is just one example. And there are people, myself included, that don't agree with that kind of trend, um, but that's the kind of trend we would have to follow if we want to ensure safety for everybody uh, within society so that we don't get acts like this. That was a lot, sorry. That's okay. I tried to relate it back to what we were talking about. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think. Uh, well, yeah, I'm trying to think the you know wheels are turning and and obviously the uh, the gears are getting smoky. So sorry, I had to step uh, up. sorry, I had to step up and let the dogs out. Oh, uh, okay. You were on oh, a rant. You were on a rant there. He so missed the whole thing. You you missed his diatribe, <laughs> and I thought I was ranting. <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was good stuff. I so it. I was letting it go, and I didn't want to interrupt it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so if we go back to like uh, what we're willing to do and the preservation of evidence, and really start thinking about all the th- movies and books, and um, it's really history kind of repeating repeating itself. What can you do? What can't you do? Uh, personal regulation, uh, conforming. 
So it is funny. <clears throat> on one hand, in Ontario, you have the surrendering of certain rights and laws for the, you know, breathalyzer. Um, in contrast to having <laughs> liquor at every corner store. Yeah, but that's fine. We've been doing that here in Quebec for years. No, no, but you, you got to see the irony. <clears throat> oh, certainly. <laughs> and they're, they're simultaneously making it easier to charge you with a violation caused by drinking while making it easier to access for everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. Is, is, is it some sort of weird... Um... It's a trick. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> it's exactly. a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. Well, they, we were talking... I'm going to have to answer that in. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking about this uh, last week, two whiskeys are, uh, you know, the there's all sorts of weird legislation going on. And, and um, we were talking specifically about the marijuana laws in the province of Ontario that you can own four plants. And I just don't understand why you can only own four plants. It doesn't make any sense. I have 60 bottles of liquor in my house, 60 bottles of scotch. That's fine. Right. That's more than one person could reasonably be consuming in a in a short time frame but there's no law against having that in your house if i try to sell a bottle to somebody that's a crime and i'll get punished accordingly so i don't understand what the four plant thing is all if you want to pay ontario's hydro rates to have a basement full of pot you do you yeah and, 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 I, and i think you're right i think something's to be said um what i i think what we need to recognize too is this is an evolution and, and we, we see laws and regulation as static entities and no, for the, mo and the most part, they're not. And really, many of them need to do, um, they need to have first contact with the legal system. So it, it takes one person to, to stand up saying, I ain't taking that and I want to go to the court and then I'm going to go to Supreme Court. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to create a precedent. And we saw it a there bit. Are a lot of, there are a lot of lawyers saying that about this new breathalyzing legislation in Ontario that it won't hold up at the Supreme Court. So It just needs to be uh, a damaging enough situation where somebody can't tolerate it. And mm -hmm. we saw that with uh, the Nova Scotia, guy, uh, Nova Scotia person that went to Quebec, bought a truckload worth of beer and came back, got charged with bootlegging. So, yes. Because despite, despite uh, free trade between provinces and no provincial... Um, Trade restrictions being in the Constitution, it's not uh, the the practice within the country. To the tune of it costs us about $17 billion a year, according to one article I was reading. Hmm. In your favorite magazine, Whiskey? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It, provinces need to really start, start working together better. <laughs> oh, it's, it's obscene. I mean, I moved, as you know, I moved from Ontario to Quebec this year, um, not only did I have to, so the way Quebec works, when you move, when you get a license in Ontario, you just go to the MTO, they take, or the service Ontario now, they take your picture, they get, you give them your 90 bucks or whatever, and they send your license in the mail. In Quebec, there is one person in the city of Quebec authorized to do between province changes, and she happened to be on vacation. So the only appointment I could get before my Ontario license expired was to drive from Quebec City to Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, and back, which was to the tune of about six and a half hours, all to get a license. Bureaucracy is at its finest. <laughs> and when I got there, I not you only had to give I love proof it. of I not only had to give proof of my residence in Quebec, which makes sense, but also proof that I had lived in Ontario. And apparently, having an Ontario driver's license does not count. Oh, that's awesome! That's oh, it was so amazing. Backwards. I brought my university degree. <laughs> 
it's perfect. Oh, it's backwards. What did they need? Like a mailing address or something? They like wanted that? a they wanted a bill that had been mailed to your house, but I don't have that where I live in 2018. So because everything's uh, electronic, right? Yeah. Like, who has a bill sent to their house? I don't even check my mail anymore. I check my mail about whenever I order something on Amazon. <laughs> Take that Canada Post and your strike. I don't know. I, it sounds to me like whatever policy it is or whatever law that gets put in place. I know we're kind of going off on a quite We're just kind tangent. of wandering around again. We're, we're, yeah, I know. We're kind of going off on quite the tangent. But no, like, Cognac is telling policy, us the things that he hates. What's that? Cognac is telling us the thing that, things that he hates. Well, I don't well, hate I'm gonna, that. I hate, I'm gonna pile. That I, I hate the fact that I owe them because because when you move between provinces, um, they consider you a resident of whatever province you lived in on December 31st for the entire year. Yeah. And because the DPRQ's tax rate is so high, I owe Quebec like 14. I pay 14 percent higher tax here than I did in Ontario, and I owe back for the eight months that I lived in Ontario, but. Because I moved to Quebec, I'm considered of having lived in Quebec, and that's unfortunate. That was a very, very expensive Monday last week. Oh, that sounds brutal. I just think I don't that's know with these, I, with these, uh, po- whatever policy gets put in place, or whatever you know, bureaucratic policy or law or anything like that that's get that gets put in place. It seems to me like they don't put it through some kind of a litmus test where it's just like, how could how could this go wrong? You know, how could, first of all, how could human beings screw it up? And where, where could we go wrong with this, with this uh, thing that we're trying to implement? And they never put it through the human nature test of like how, you know, like the shitty aspects of human nature could actually screw up what it is we're trying to, you know, accomplish here. So I'm what I'm some of my friends that like I'm of the age, a lot of my friends are having kids and some of the more responsible ones having kids um, I'm kind of their foil for names. They give me they give me a list of names and then ask me how many how much I can make fun of them because I promise you a room full of third graders will think of it too. <laughs> that, that's an example of litmus testing, I guess. I guess, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, of, I, I think we need to 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 err as human and go through the logic. So really, what what happens is, uh, cabinet minister proposes a bill, or a minister yep. proposes a bill. It goes through how many different rewrites hits the Senate, goes through a rewrite, and then gets passed. Um, yeah, in the end, you get a watered down version. Either a watered down version or a misinterpreted. You know, does it really capture what the spirit was? You got to think of political agendas. We're going to make this this law so screwed up that it'll it'll never survive this, uh, a, a second uh, a second term, look. Ter- yeah, well, a second look or a certain second term because. You think of the Senate's mostly conservatives, right? And NDP, NDP doesn't even have anybody in there. So NDP is irrelevant this election cycle, unfortunately. <laughs> well, it depends yeah. what province you're in. <laughs> I guess. So, all right, BC, the one listener in BC. <laughs> <laughs> there's there, there's, there's, there's no any. bias there at all. <laughs> Speaking of, speaking of hate, <laughs> we, we did we did one episode on drugs. Born, I think we might have an audience. <laughs> I was born in BC, born on Vancouver. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's you then. You're the listener. <laughs> That's where my IP address is set to. I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, 
I, I guess uh, really comes down when we talk about hate. I, I think it's, it's mostly comes down to misinformation. And we, we when we're when things are good, we think of the things that we don't have. And there's usually a, a, a disparage disparaging or disparency. I guess what's the word I'm looking for here? Discrepancy between what I have and what somebody else is having. We 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 like to to hate people that have more than us. In some Certainly. respects, especially I, I found one in a many blue collar or or lower class um, uh, environments, people say, well, they only got that because or the only. Why do they get a check from the government and I don't or. Yeah, you know, they got a lot of money and it didn't hit me until my dad said something to the effect of he was talking about my cousin. My cousin's done quite well for himself. Um, and oh, he's he's leveraged up the wazoo. I, I said, Dad doesn't matter. You know, just because he has a mansion doesn't mean he's a prick. He's always been nice to us. He's always yeah. been nice to you. You know, there's no reason to hate. But at the he, same time, he doesn't owe you anything. Exactly. And if you asked him for any kind of help, he would be there for you. So why would you put that these negative con uh, comments on? Everybody someone? has someone in their family that. Whether through hard work, a bit of luck, marriage, who knows, has come into some money and everyone's been at the Christmas dinner table when the uh, the kind of behind the back sniping at that person has come out. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I said, be a bigger person. Be yeah. happy for him. Be happy. <clears throat> I'm happy for those that make more money than me. And, and you know what? Maybe instead of criticizing or taking it down is... Is figure out what you could do to emulate, necessarily to get ahead, or do better yeah. for yourself. Yeah. Do so. you think a lot of like hatred stems from the type of like have versus have not? Do you think there's I, a lot of that? If you just look at the Jewish, think, the Jewish side of Nazism. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Or or one at a time, please. <laughs> I want to get that think, one in there. <laughs> don't y'all answer it at once. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, say whiskey. Well, if you just think of the evolution of the, like the Jewish culture in Europe, um, they were they, they were deemed too stupid to do a lot of trades. So the only one left was administration and banking. So well, because they were um, they were banned from a lot of what were the more honorable trades because they were Jewish. So they took up banking. Exactly. So and, then you and that's why they control all the banks, right? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it turns turns out if you leave a group of people with no other option but to do a very specific trade for 500 years, they get pretty good at it. <laughs> and, like father to son. And, and, and you know, and that's all they were able to do is a family business. So, so and then you blame them for an animation company. <laughs> well, it, 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 not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that's the way it is. No, it's just that that's the historical reason that. The Jewish community is active in banking. Yeah, no, it's true, and that's what, that's to get what at. they've always done. So it's not even a stereotype; it's just abs- It's just no, a it was the, natural it was the fact. Catholic, it was the Catholic Western European nations forcing them to do nothing but that because merchants were seen as a lower class. Merchants and bankers were a lower class mm-hmm. because they made interest, which was against the Bible, and it wasn't virtuous and blibbity blobby blue. Um, but yeah, the Jewish I people something. issue about that. So. <laughs> Yeah, and that's why I brought it up. So then we became have-have-nots. So they started hating them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there you go. 
And, and, and so you're taking it a step further. You're saying hatred, modern hatred anyway, is bred more from envy than fear. Correct. Because generally that's the explanation. Hatred is just a, uh, a physiological response to fear. But like, do you really have anything to fear from the Muslim community that goes to your local mosque and does its own thing? It's not fear that makes you graffiti go home on the side of their 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 place of worship. It's kind of generally being a shithead, but it's it's envy. Yeah, but you, know, you, you, you got to look at the human here, side here's of Here's a too. part of it in terms of envy. A lot of these minority groups within our country, while our natural or not natural, but our traditional kind of sense of community and values is breaking down and going ever and ever more online. I mean, look at how many um, Christian churches are up for sale. But yet the sense of community within these minority groups is on the rise because the more anti-Muslim or whatever minority group um, is prevalent, the more they band together for safety and because that's just what people do. No, hold, I, can you stop there for a second, though? So Certainly. after the, 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 the mosque attacks and the vandalism in in uh, I think it was Montreal, the community leaders went after the congregation. And they said, um, you need to realize that the reason why this is happening is partly, you are partly to blame. You band together, you congregate, you create a system in which local people don't trust you because you're always talking and whispering to each other. If you integrate it as part of the community, I didn't say assimilate, but integrate as part of the cultural fabric of the the area, mm-hmm. we'll see a difference in the outcomes because people will understand us better. Well, so, look at Chinatown isn't, isn't in that every a, city, right? There's yeah. a Chinatown in every major city, and well, they've integrated very well for themselves. Well, or that, just not look at, at first. Greater Toronto area. <laughs> just look at the Greater Toronto area. I mean, you look at places like Brampton or, you know, the amount of uh, people that come in off of uh, coming out of uh, Toronto Airport and they just, <laughs> you know, where they settle. You know, I'm not like uh, I'm not I'm trying not to be they, they call it insensitive about reason, this, but yeah. yeah, I know it's exactly it. Like I'm not I'm trying not to be insensitive, but it's like there's a reality. I can see with my own two eyes. The majority of the population is is what it is. Right. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but to your point, um, when you talk about uh, when you talk about um, getting people to integrate into the community, like are are you asking them to change uh, too quickly? Because you know nobody asks the Scots or the Irish to. I mean, we're all English-speaking white Caucasians, you know, a hundred plus years ago, uh, immigrating into uh, into North America. But you get groups of people, and you didn't—they didn't expect them to um, all integrate together. In fact, they did quite the opposite. You had no, communities of Irish, out, they shipped and them they out start- west to settle towns. That, Canada's got a very different history with immigration than is a usable model otherwise. I would right. look more towards European countries because the Canadian immigration. I mean, look at all the Ukrainian towns between um, um, in. Um, Frig, in Saskatoba, that useless bit between Alberta and Ontario. <laughs> gentle, There's gentle. The, that's gentle. Where <laughs> I know. I, I, you were born there. No one else has any excuse to go to Winnipeg. <laughs> I worked there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, and Vancouver Island has all the food you can eat. 
I grew up in Bramladesh, bro. I, I feel like we're generating a small little animosity on this podcast. <laughs> it's, it fits the theme. <laughs> it's like Coke versus Pepsi or or uh, PlayStation versus Xbox or PC and Mac or some stupid shit like that. Yeah, yeah, if Kanye likes it, I don't. Coke, <laughs> yeah. PC, and PlayStation. What? what did you, Kanye, what now? You heard me. I did not. Yeah, I did not. What did you I said, if you like it, I don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Coke, PC, and PlayStation. What it does. All right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I got side. So we have a we have a very different model for the way our communities sprung up circa 120 years ago than most other countries do because we had a like a government organized program to move people to different areas of the country in like waves. Yep. So um, the integration piece, the model doesn't fit as well uh, in Canada as it does in a city um, like like London. The first the first mosque. Uh, in Europe was built in London for the Pakistani soldiers. It was built by the British Army mm. for the Pakistani soldiers serving there. Mm-hmm. This is not anything new to the British. Right. right? Go to Birmingham. Right. Birmingham Airport offers one-way flights to Istanbul or um, direct flights to Istanbul. It's the only place in, in England that you could do that because <laughs> the that's plane the plane goes and never comes to. back. <laughs> <laughs> fun fun fact about Birmingham. I read something a while back uh, that Birmingham it was described as having the worst accent in the world. Is it it's Birmingham? A disgusting accent. It's yeah. Peaky Blinders. Is a, it's Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Dudley, which is where my grandmother's side of the family is from. The black country. Not for any racist reason, because that's where the coal was. Anyways, so as I regain my faculties from laughing so hard, um, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. You, you, I, 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 I think we should probably add into the fact that um, the way our immigration—you mentioned immigration and settlement—but look at the way our modern immigration system works. You have to have a sponsor, and the most likely sponsor are friends and relatives. When friends and relatives sponsor you. They're going to bring you to your, them, to, yeah. yeah, to live with them, or they're going to live yeah. be where they can check on you and be around you. So that natural, there's a natural or in, inherent to that program is a resettlement. When I when I was yes. growing growing and up in, in southern the most Manitoba, expensive areas of the country. When I was yeah, when, when I was growing up in southern Manitoba, I had some mm. friends that were Chinese. And they grew up in Carberry. In Manitoba? Yeah. In, they grew up in Carberry. <laughs> and if anybody knows Carberry, it is the middle of nowhere. <laughs> How'd they get there? Uh, By train. <laughs> the I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> um, <laughs> By rail system. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Just double down on it, eh? I, I couldn't help it. It was low-hanging fruit. So I will be the one to say that's not very nice. <laughs> no, it's not very nice. I admit that. We've apologized. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, we have, yeah, we do have Chinatowns. We have cultural uh, refuges all over. Like, uh, my, my Mennonite family, they came over with the Ukrainians in one of the immigration waves um, and settled, settled in the, that area. In, in southern Manitoba. But you also, there's another dynamic to it where the cultural uh, um, propensity to do the mass gatherings and be together. 
if you just think of uh, all the different celebrations with the Filipino community, there's a large Filipino community in southern Manitoba. And they celebrate like something I've never seen before of uh, even when like we have cotillion or uh, they're, they're called debuts. Uh, they're massive parties and it's it, they're almost like a wedding before the wedding. Um, so th- how they celebrate and how they get together sort of changes that dynamic and strengthens that family bond, which in some ways is being eroded by Facebook, maybe enhanced in some regards, but that, that sense of community is, is there in that personal contact where you know, me nowadays, I just value my own personal space, get off my property, only, only call before you come type of deal. But they know they don't have to live in Southern Manitoba, right? They're allowed to move. Yes, but Vancouver Island's too expensive. So there's actually, too many so goddamn we, we trees. Were ta- <laughs> we were talking, we were talking earlier about um, about them living, but immigrants tend to live in congregating cities because of the sponsor program. And one of the biggest complaints I had growing up in the GTA was from other uh, white kids uh, was, oh, they they're they're fifteen in a house, and you know. They're too, of course they're 15 in a house. They can't afford like anything else. They're in the most expensive places in the country. And then people complain about how many, how many people are living in one domicile as if it's any other goddamn business anyway. Yeah. Right? Provided yeah, but, the, the fire codes being met. Yeah. What why, you want to do you with your place is your business. I don't care. Yeah, but they'd also, when they, when they leave that house, they all get together to buy the next house for, for, for one of the families and they make the decision together. Yeah. But then you pair that with what's going on with the, some of the Aboriginal communities, where there's 20 people in a two-bedroom house because there's not enough houses for there's whatever nothing else for many yeah. other reasons. But. The Aboriginal um, issue is is way too complex and depressing for uh, for me at this hour. I, I, but yeah. I, I think it pairs right into our topic though, a bit. It, do, it certainly does, and it's. The problem with the the problem with the Aboriginal community and and full disclosure, I have an uncle by marriage who uh, ran for chief of his band. He's a Cree native and, and they live in uh, northern Saskatchewan. Him and my aunt. Um, so the part of the problem, and he he educated me a lot. He was a victim of the residential school system. Um, he's tried to teach me as much as possible about how the reserves got or. Not all of them, because that's a generalization, but how a lot of the reserves ended up where they are now. And it's a combination of um, forced assimilation, as we all know, with the residential school system, uh, an attempt to force assimilation to the point that the RCMP are not allowed on a lot of the reserves anymore. Not because of you know, they, they necessarily want to run their own reserve police and, and, and not respond to Canadian law, but because the RCMP are no longer a trusted institution. They used to kidnap children in a lot of these places taking the residential schools. Healthcare professionals are also generally not trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, so the native community in this country has been treated with apathy at best and hostility at worst. And we, we being... You know, the three white guys sitting and having this conversation or, or, or whomever that has never been to a reserve, let alone attempted to sympathize with that, um, sit and give easy to digest soundbite solutions. You know, oh, we'll just send an accountant. Well, the problem's not where the money's going necessarily. Yes, there's corruption. There's corruption everywhere. 
Yeah. But they don't they won't trust an accountant that the government sends any they do not trust the government. Broad stroking over generalization for very good reason. Um the government's generally done nothing for them from the good of their hearts. Well, right? I, and I and I and I agree. So my qualifications in this sphere are my wife grew up on a reserve. Um, okay. I visited reserves. My wife took me to see her friends on the reserve. My daughter has a status. Um, mm -hmm. So my aunt is also uh, was lost her status, but um, <clears throat> uh, so so because there's that paternity thing associated mm, with yes. it. So 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 we need to. I don't have hatred. I have complete empathy. If you look Absolutely. at if you yeah. take the Hulk history piece, um, and you realize what different rights can be given to you, taken away. Just if we just look at hate um, on 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 the topic here. So the Mennonites themselves lost the right to vote, even though they left long before the wars ever broke out. Speak a totally different language. Were persecuted all through Europe anyway. Um, but because they spoke German, they were persecuted. Now, we, we Japanese, look at... Japanese, Canadians, same thing during the Second World War? Exactly. When there's distrust, there's something else. When, But the, the problem right now, we see a have, have not. So people, the common folk look at the Aboriginals as we will right of conquest, um, assimilate or die, uh, which is not appropriate. Uh, and then, you don't even have to pay taxes. Yeah, you can't tell them you got it hard. You don't even pay taxes. Yeah, yeah and then and then you see the transfer payment or payments to the reserves, and then you see the corruption, and there's a never-ending sense of need of want. Um, but we we need to take a step back, and we we need to accept some of the responsibility for it as a you know government side of it is we help create we that. Put them in the we didn't help create it. We created it. It was the easy solution because we didn't have a military presence. Like the, the U People forget the Americans tried to exterminate their native population. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah ours not was long the after the civil solution. war. Yeah. Custer and all that jazz. Right. Yeah. Ours was the easier solution because our army at the time consisted of the Northwest Mounted Police. Um, and you can't just ride across some horses in our land. <laughs> there's too many no, leagues. Yeah, yeah, there's too much stuff in the way. So the British had no interest in dealing with it. That's yeah. So we created the reserve system as a stopgap solution until we figured out a way to assimilate the native population. And when I say assimilate, I mean very much like late 1800s assimilate. You stop being you and start being us. Um, and that just kind of never happened. So we're stuck with this half-developed legal system that's still, well, until very recently, was still unfortunately named the Indian Act um, in, in how to administer this. And, and we talk quite a few times, like the government has set, had several opportunities and has done several consultations where they would actually came up with a number to try and resolve this. The government said that's too much money. Let's not deal with it. Um, well, we got we got uh, what was it uh, eight months ago? The government spent fifty thousand dollars in court or something to not pay for that Aboriginal girl's braces, like thirty seven hundred dollars worth of braces. Oh, it's ridiculous! Because uh, they don't want to set a precedent, and and yeah, because they don't want that thirty seven hundred dollars to turn into fifty thousand dollars. But it did. 
to for a girl to not get her teeth fixed. And we're not talking cosmetic dental work. We're talking she can't eat yeah. properly. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. And and the and the way <clears> the reserves were set up is ridiculous. Yeah, and the way the res, a lot of the reserves were set up were designed to disadvantage them. So it, it was ghettoization yeah. under another name. Well, even we, worse than we that. Worse word, than that, because so, where some of these communities well, I'm are, <laughs> like circa nineteen thirty. Oh, worse. Than, yeah, I would say it's even worse than that, because when you say when you look how remote some of these reserves were pushed, they were taken off prime land, uh, where they would where their native hunting grounds were. It was easy for them to get around. They were pushed in, into corners where they they couldn't operate. Where it's a uh, swamp. Uh, so th- also the, generally toxic. Uh, a lot of toxic contamination. So um, yep. a lot of the reserve lands happen to get moved on to former mining sites or former um, defense sites or whatever, that the ground is very contaminated. I, I have a very uh, close personal acquaintance um, that does a lot of research in the north, in the Inuit communities, um, about the, the toxic waste in various forms that they're being forced to live on. Totally. And and they were given unsuitable land. <laughs> totally, and I think we're in agreement there, just using different words. Yeah, yes. and and I'm, and not want to go into a topic of fixing it because I'm I believe I'm quite uh, ill qualified to do it. Um, smarter people must have tried to solve that problem. So. Well, smarter people, richer people, and then they just shelved the project. But uh, <clears throat> I think it comes down to is that. If we fail to understand a bit of empathy, to understand what the other groups are going through, there's a likelihood of, uh, of, of hate. And we should be mindful. And we start talking about multi-generational hate, because I think as we things happen and there's a breakdown in education where you have a person that leaves home uh, early, they, they sort of stop growing in certain respects, and that hate will can foster in different groups. I think more dangerous is the people that stay home, don't get any sort of outside education, never leave their small towns, um, and that hate just continues on. Look at the separatist movement in, in my province. It's only really still alive in the small towns. Right? I work with a lot of people that, that are my age, that when they were kids, they were separatists because that's what their parents were, and that's what their parents told them. And then they grew up, they went to France, they went to, they went to Morocco, they went to other French-speaking countries and realized they had more in common with English Canadians than, than any other French-speaking people. Oh, totally. And those false dichotomies, like, spend more, uh, why, why should we do prayer, why should we have, uh, take prayer out of the schools but give them prayer time? Well, like, my, my view. Why not? My view is prayer, prayer time isn't just for one religion. You can send your kid there, too. See how he likes the British it. Ar- the British Army, right in the height of their colonial period in the Victorian age, built a mosque in London to accommodate their Pakistani soldiers. They just called them Indians at the time, but they're Muslim soldiers. If if Britain circa 1880 can figure out that, hey, it's beneficial to let people do what they need to do or what they what their their beliefs are and accommodate that. Why in 2019 are we still railing against it? Again, I, I'm, well, I'm on the same side. I have no answer for you. I, I, I can't even, I can't even explore the topic because it baffles my mind. Uh. It just, it just, it just boggles me that we fight about this inane 
stuff like hijab bands or whatever. Like, I don't know. I don't know where this is coming from. It's got to be. It's got to be a perception that someone's getting something that you're not. <clears throat> but just because you're accommodating religious views of others doesn't mean yours can't be accommodated as well. Well, that's your province. <laughs> Uh, and, and well, I, it's I, interesting. I, I think Trudeau. It's very much my province. Right? I think it's Trudeau. It's interesting put that best, you brought that, uh, like the whole idea of um, uh, Britain uh, during the Victorian uh, period and what they're going through now with Brexit. Like they're trying to basically go in the complete opposite direction. I, I think there's you see all the stuff that's going on. Can I can I round up the last topic there for a second? So I I think Trudeau did put it. Uh, President uh, Prime Minister Trudeau put it really well. He said. We need to teach uh, tolerance of religions, not to say control of religions, because that's the religious controls, right? Yes. But if we go back in, in, into, <clears throat> I have a theory that there's there's Brexit probably had some interference somewhere. Um, it absolutely did. And I think they need to have a referendum, because if you look at the the greater dislike, because then we put in Russian influence, Chinese influence, North Korea influence, um, these all fit a global uh, a global program to destabilize Western democracies. Um, and if you look at the Trump interference election, got I, I, I gotta put it, Brexit probably had it too. And oh yeah, and our last national election likely had it as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, is somebody having a hard time over on their end? <laughs> Oh, I've just I've I've just unplugged my laptop to go to the fridge to get a uh, a bottle of water. Oh, okay. It came across as hearing. I don't know if it's somebody's rubbing up against leather or something else. <laughs> He's letting know, his it's ego probably out. Just the sounds of me, like it's probably just the sounds of my computer creaking in my hands as I carry it along with me because I don't ah. have a fancy Bluetooth headset. I'm I'm wired in. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is not my livelihood. <laughs> if this is our livelihood we're we're a dismal failure <laughs> my business yeah. case would be to cease immediately you're lucky right off yeah. the sunshine list yeah we would ha- <laughs> <laughs> this is not keeping us on it <laughs> yeah there would be no podcast there'd be no electricity you gotta pay for that Wi-Fi somehow. Or whiskey for that matter. <laughs> or whiskey, yeah. Oh, speaking of whiskey, what do you what are you guys drinking? I've got a Glen Morangi uh nectar door. Figured, you know, just to Nectar, okay. Nectar door. Um to what did they say it was from? Nectar door takes its name from or, which means gold in Gaelic, perfectly describing the sumptuous expression of Glen Morangi. Very smooth. Or also does that have a brace of brambles? What's that? A brace of brambles. So for the listeners, uh, just <laughs> that's a bit of an inside <laughs> joke. <laughs> we were. I, uh, I'm part of a whiskey club here in uh, in Kingston, and uh, we had uh, I had both uh, whiskey and cognac over uh, for this little meeting or whatever, and uh, they were explaining uh, one of the flavors and tastes of one of the whiskeys, and amongst the flavors, it said it was a brace of brambles. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. These are like <laughs> like your they got like cinnamon flavor, and and it tastes like. 
it tastes like the ocean breeze. It's like, what the fuck are these people on? Like, they must be <laughs> taking mushrooms before they're drinking whiskey or some shit. Oh, it's I a don't marketer. Know. Just a marketer yeah. doing their thing. Yeah. What about yourself, whiskey? What do you got going on? Uh, I'm drinking Blue Label. Ah, nice. Holy. Nice, nice blend. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> There's no ice in it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I don't I don't use I don't have ice in mine either. I used to I used to get bad heartburn, but then I guess I grew up and became an adult and now I don't need it. So. Or the parts that parts that <clears throat> needed burned off. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. For myself I've got a Glenn Farkless seventeen. Ooh, that's good. It is quite nice. I went to the distillery on our on my wife and I's uh honeymoon. It was a very nice place. Most people Valid- go somewhere sunny or nice and you went to rainy scotland no it was actually sunny we were so lucky we were there for like 10 days and i think it rained one day that was it i went to uh i went to glasgow for a week i was working because i was working in the uk last year right so i went to glasgow filthy city in february it's like toronto the whole time hey hey steady (laughs) just because you're from canada's kentucky <laughs> it's okay. He went to school in Guelph. <laughs> yeah, Canada's Kentucky. Uh, and you're from Canada. And you're from Canada's Kansas. I didn't even know there were schools in Guelph. Brett? They have internet there. <laughs> they also, <laughs> yeah. they also, they also the have University the largest, of Cal. <laughs> yeah, they also have the largest female population of any university. I think all universities have more <laughs> females than males in them. <laughs> Not yes, in Guelph that, because they have the different. veterinary programs. Ah, uh, yeah, it's the Ontario Veterinary College, and they yeah, like to yeah, play yeah. doctor. So it is Cal College. <laughs> they like to play doctor. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, we're going it's back like, to the gutter. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. Where were we? <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with me doing my university in Kingston. It was all Queens girls. They're too smart for their own good. And you can and you don't make more money than their daddy. So. No, <laughs> not even a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But and I got to rely on my personality and looks, and I'm screwed. <laughs> well, at least you know where you stand. <laughs> you got to pay that debt forward. Um. Anyways, I think that's probably a good place to sum up. <laughs> we we all we all we all have limits. <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, it's an important topic. It's just it's just a thoroughly uh, it's heavy and it's hard to talk about for a long time without getting sad. Yeah, no, I I get it. But it's it's a good topic because sometimes we can explain weird things, weird phenomena going. That's probably a hate scenario, probably deep ingrained. And I I think probably the, the message is, is that. Take to understand. Take the time to understand what it's like to be in that person's shoes before you judge them. Uh, I, I think I think you're not wrong, but the the I mean we're we're guilty of what a lot of people are. Now we're trying to use this forum um, intellectually to to search towards a solution. But if you look around your group of friends when you're talking about any any given topic, whether it be Aboriginal rights, whether it be Muslim rights, whether it be um, uh, women's equality. If you look around your group of people talking about it and you are a bunch of white dudes, um, you're probably missing some perspective. Uh, totally. And I, uh, whisk, uh, rocks and I bring it up all the time. 
Um, you're right. You're you're totally right. Um, but I I want to I want to put the bug in your ear, saying it, it's okay to speak up for somebody else. It's yes. okay because when we're sitting at these tables um, and we're not demographically represented, I, I I think we should not be afraid to bring up some of the stuff we understand and then identify that we're not equally represented. And that goes into the walking discussions are going a certain way. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, amongst your group of friends, Hey, that's, you know, that's not okay. Or don't try and control what people say, but try and understand why they think that. Oh, totally. All right. I think the problem is there is a problem with that though. Um, and it's unfortunate. Uh, the reality is, there are people within minority groups who would in today's day and age, they go ahead and say, well, that person is white. They don't speak for us. Right. You know, but how could they, we're we're not trying to, I get it. I get it. I get it. But empathizing and understanding are two very different things. Like I, I, I have talked this whole time, about how we live in the safest time it is to be alive, but I cannot, I can empathize with the fear a woman might feel walking through certain neighborhoods of town after dark, but I can't understand it because I've never lived it. Right. You can yeah, never truly no, I, understand it. You I can totally empathize. That. It's two different things. Yeah, I get that. I just think it's, um, well, we could, it, dr- we could dress you up and drag, we could dress you up and drag and walk direction. you down the, down the street. Um, well, what's I, that? We could dress you up and drag and put you down the street. We could, we we can do some case studies. Um, but <laughs> I just don't think I just don't think that kind of friend. I just don't think that kind of rhetoric pushes uh, pushes the the discussion or pushes communication between individuals in a positive direction. I think uh, when when it comes to something like hatred, if I mean, it would be irresponsible of me not to provide my own, you know silly look outlook on things but i think it a lot of it comes down to individual responsibility yet again like there, you can tack that onto your bingo sheet there cognac it's, it's um, believe me it's on there yeah so <clears throat> I, I didn't get bingo yet though i, I didn't orient them properly <laughs> and, and i chose i chose i chose vote with your wallet as my as my center square well and, you said it so yeah i said it but that doesn't count whiskey hasn't said it yet <laughs> Well, you said it for me. I try. I got a budget once per episode. <laughs> That's never been true. <laughs> I haven't said it yet. Um, but the the bottom, I I don't know. To me, it's when we're you talked earlier to about uh, integrating people within a community, and I don't know. Like it was a question I kind of asked, but I don't know if it got answered. Um, was that you know is that asking too much? of uh of different groups who are say new to this country who are immigrating into this country is that too much to ask of them and that's a genuine question it's not a rhetorical question no i would because usually what happens usually what happens is over time it's generations uh subsequent generations that get integrated i mean you brought it up as a point too cognac when you know uh people who were uh you know separatists within quebec who were you know young people growing up they realized that's not the path that we want to take that's not that doesn't that's not how we feel about the country that we live in um so you know it's future generations that grow up you know leading the way um you know towards who knows uh less hatred 
You'll never get rid of it. There has to be hatred. But to answer your question, because you said it's not rhetorical, um, I think it's very, I think in some cases, certain uh, minorities within North America and and Western Europe have been made to feel especially unwelcome. So it's very difficult to integrate when you're being looked down upon or made to feel unwelcome. Totally. Or in the case of, as we were talking earlier with our Aboriginal community, there's systemic uh, barriers to integration in place. I totally get it. And usually the solution was, well, send all their kids into the public school system and get them talking with all the other kids. They learn the language, they learn the culture, and everybody kind of blends in together. But when when a culture becomes completely saturated by one group or another, they start influencing how And that's what happened here in, in Quebec City. We have the Wendake Reserve that's part of Quebec City. Like they weirdly because Quebec and has uh, Quebec has a much worse history with its natives than the majority of the rest of the country. But weirdly, Wendake, um, they were never moved away from here. Like it's a it's a borough in Quebec City now, um, and they've integrated very well. Well, there's Newfoundland, <coughs> where they tried to exterminate Newfoundland tried to exterminate them all. Yeah, but they weren't ours at that point, so they're <laughs> <laughs> they still part. It's of not our player, problem anymore. But- no, I, I think it's cool along with the logic of summing up. And I, and I, I just want to end with the, the notice. Like empathy is important. Understanding is important. You may not be able to speak for them, but at least identify what you don't don't know or don't understand as part of the conversation. And I think if you do that, the conversation will be much, much healthier rather than labeling, which is done usually in ignorance. Um, and if you, if you um, ask a member of these communities – and you have an open mind and are actually willing to listen and not um, just spout diatribe at them, generally speaking, they'll be willing to tell you what the what the issues are. And to be even more specific uh, with that, like don't just relate it to their, you know, the macrocosm of their culture. Go and, hey, there you go, whiskey, another big word for you. Um, <laughs> bring it down to like, hey, what's what's that you're eating? You know, like get is, interested in their is, food, their their music, the things that they do that, you know, that makes their culture the the good parts of their culture, because there's hate in every culture. There's hate in every aspect of humanity. But, you know, bring about the good stuff that, you know, like people enjoy to do as pastimes. Cooking is like in eat, everybody eats, like start with there. That's yeah, a great place be, to start. Don't be a shithead. Basically. Yeah. Don't be a douchebag. Okay, that, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good closing. Don't be a douchebag. <laughs> so until next week, it's true though. <laughs> so until next week, I'm whiskey. I'm rocks. And thank you for our guest, cognac. Have a good Hello. week. Bonjour. Bonne nuit. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to do the whole podcast in French now, right? I'm going to sound like a Métis. <laughs> oh, God, no. My, half English, half French, half something else. I got to get some good friends that are Métis, and they're, they're, the language is something uh It's, it's like our academic. I work with an Acadian, and yeah, nobody knows what it's on about. Yeah. But anyways, I'll stop it there. <laughs>
Hey everybody, Rox here. The song you're listening to is called The Good in Everyone by Sloan. I thought we'd throw in some good old Canadian garage band music for a change. Actually, the reason I put the song in was because at the time of researching a topic like, a topic like hatred, if you can call what I do research, uh, this song came on one of my uh, favorite Toronto-based radio stations, uh, also known as Q107. The lyrics kind of put a smile on my face, and it was, you know, it was actually pretty cool that our discussion naturally ended out on that note. So, thanks to my co-host Whiskey, and thanks to our guest Cognac, but also thanks to Sloan for keeping our heads up. Okay, cheesy part over. Still got to do the shameless plugging. So uh, please like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you've started listening to the 320 Club. We're currently on iTunes, we're on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. You know, we're kind of on YouTube, but not really. We still need to crack that nut when we get the time. Um, but as you know, we're we're looking for more ways to expand. Um, if you do want to help out, please write us a review on Facebook. Tell your friends all about this new indie Canadian podcast and feel free to get involved in the conversation. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more 320 Club.